We're in the series, The Blueprint, and we're going to start in Nehemiah 4, and I'll tell you the title of the message after we read this scripture, right? Nehemiah 4, verse 1. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Notice the mocking of these two guys. Verse 4 is Nehemiah praying for them. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Now, let me just clarify. Nehemiah is probably not the best example of praying for your enemies. I personally believe uh, that Nehemiah was in a motorcycle gang before he got saved. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now notice that the wall is beginning to be built even though there's opposition. Here's the title of the message this week, Victory is Part of His Plan. We're talking about God's master plan for your life. Victory is part of God's plan for your life. He wants you to experience victory. But what do you have to do to experience victory? Well, there are some things, all right? Number one, don't give in to opposition. You are going to have opposition in the Christian walk from the enemy. Same way Nehemiah had opposition. This opposition just didn't start in Nehemiah 4, by the way. They're building the wall, and they've got about half of it done in chapter 4. But go back to chapter 2 with me. We're going to be in Nehemiah 2, 4, and 6 all day today, all right? Not, well, not all day, but for the rest of the message. <laughs> I saw some of you think, man, the Mavs come on at 930. Just... By the way, are you praying for the Mavs? I'm pretty upset about this, so I'm gonna, let me get back to being spiritual here. <clears throat> Alright. <laughs> Nehemiah 2 verse 9. Nehemiah 2 9. Then I went to the governors, and by the way, Sanballat was one of the governors, in the region beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Why would you be disturbed that someone wants to help someone? Isn't that amazing? And then verse 19, But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Now watch what they said. Will you rebel against the king? Isn't it amazing that they said, Will you rebel against the king? But Nehemiah had a letter from the king. And yet they were trying to bring fear on him that he was doing something wrong, actually. I want you to think about this. Nehemiah knew what to do because he had a letter from the king. Guess what? We have a letter from the king. And yet the enemy tries to say to us, hey, you're doing the wrong thing. But if you know the letter and you've read the letter, you can say to the enemy, no, that's not right. Do you realize that every time, the three times that we have recorded that Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus answered him this way, it is written, 
It is written. It is written. In other words, sorry, bud, you're not fooling me because I know what the letter says. You've got to know what the letter says to be able to overcome opposition. You are going to face opposition if you're going to live a Christian life, if you're going to live for the Lord. If you're in a difficult marriage and you decide to do the right thing and stay in that marriage, let me just tell you something, Satan's going to oppose you. Now, I know that that's not good news, but let me tell you what good news is. If you stay, if you stay, the reward is greater. Now, let me explain something when I talk about this, because I know many, many people have experienced divorce in our society. I understand that. In every divorce, there is at least one offending party. There's one person that doesn't want to do the right thing, doesn't want to submit to God, doesn't want to work on it, and sometimes there are two. But in everyone, there's at least one. You say, well, I tried to stay in the marriage, but the person didn't want to. I understand that. And I'm not saying if you would have stayed in it, there's a great reward for you because you didn't have a choice. But if you're the offending party, if you're the one that says, I want to get out, this is not the right thing, I want to do my own thing, if you will stay and submit to God, there is great reward. There is opposition for doing the right thing, but there is great reward for doing the right thing. It's the same thing like, just to use it this way, if you decide to get out of debt, Satan's going to oppose you. But if you do the right thing and continue to live below your means, there's great reward at the end of doing that. If you decide to tithe, there's, there's opposition. But if you do the right thing, there's great reward. Satan does not want you to tithe. Think about this. He does not want the curse removed from your finances. And God didn't curse you. God wants a blessing. But when you don't obey His financial principles, you bring a curse on yourself. So when you say, okay, I'm going to start doing the right thing, immediately Satan will oppose you. Think about this. Have you ever made a financial commitment to the church, such as maybe our One Life campaign or something? You made a financial commitment and immediately the washing machine broke or the car broke down or something went wrong and you had some unexpected medical bills. Has that happened to anyone here? Can I see your hand? Certainly. Why? Two reasons. Number one, Satan doesn't want the kingdom to be expanded. And number two, he doesn't want you to be blessed. So immediately there's opposition. But don't quit just because there's opposition. By the way, let me ask you something. It was about a year ago. As your pastor, I want to ask you a question. How are you doing in your one life commitment? Many of us made commitments, not just financial commitments, but we made commitments if we had not joined the church to go through the new members' classes and join the church. Have you done that? We made commitments to spend time with God personally. Are you doing that? Many people made commitments to get involved in a group or to go to the classes. Have you done? Have you, or did you, did you make a financial commitment? Are you doing your financial commitment? Here's what happens. Many, many times, we make a financial commitment, we really believe God, and then it gets tied and it looks like we can't do it. So here's what Satan says. If you can't do all of it, don't do any of it. Don't listen to the enemy. Don't give in to opposition. I made a financial commitment one time, a three-year building campaign at another church, not Gateway, another church where I was. They had a building campaign. I made a three-year commitment. As soon as I made that commitment, I changed jobs and my income went down. Down. Right after I make the commitment. So I said to the Lord, Lord, what do I do? And here's what I felt like he said. He said, just lower what, give what you can, and it's just going to take you longer. It took me four years to pay the three-year commitment. But you know what? In the fourth year, the church still needed the money. (laughs) It was amazing how it worked out. (laughs) But I did it. I made a commitment. 
I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Many, many times when there's a commitment like that, we really want to, and then we kind of overcommit ourselves. And then we just don't do anything. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. And I'm saying to you, even if you've got opposition in your marriage, your finances, your health, in your relationships, whatever, wherever the opposition is, do the right thing anyway. Don't give in to that opposition. All right, here's point number two. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fear. Now, look at Nehemiah 4 again. Nehemiah chapter 4. We've got a lot of Scripture we're going to go through. And don't tune out on these Scriptures because it's very important. And I want you to see the spiritual analogy of how the enemy works in these Scriptures. Nehemiah 4 verse 7. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together, this is exactly the way demons work, to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. In other words, we're going to attack you when you're not expecting us. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked in the robes, and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, and the rest of the people, now watch what he says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I want you to notice the spiritual analogy of this. Don't be afraid and fight. And what they were fighting for, they're rebuilding the kingdom, the walls. To us, it's the kingdom. But here's what he said, you're actually fighting for your family. Listen, your commitment to the kingdom of God will affect your family. When you are committed to the kingdom of God, when you're committed to the church, you're actually bringing blessing on your wife, your children, your family, and everything, all of your possessions. And that's what he's saying here. You need to remember, you're fighting for your family. This is a fight for your family. And don't be afraid. This past Tuesday, I taped some programs with James and Betty Robinson. And before me, they taped some programs with Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She's a doctor that has studied brain activity for 25 years. Uh, she'll be coming back in the fall. We're going to try to have her to do something here at the church and speak to us as well. But she's been studying brain activity for 25 years. She's telling us the same thing, but in a different way because she's a believer. In other words, she's backing up with scientific proof, but the, the people who are not believers are telling us our brain functions one way. She's putting it in terms of, of that line up with the Bible. Here's what she says. Every thought that you have that comes into your brain, you either process it, through fear or through faith. I want you to think about that. See, we hear all this scientific stuff about left brain, right brain. Here's what she says. You process it through fear or through faith. Every thought. And she has the medical evidence to back it up. So here's my question for you. When you have thoughts about your marriage, are they thoughts of fear or thoughts of faith? And you have the choice. When you think about your finances... Are they thoughts of fear or thoughts of faith? When you think about your job situation, when you think about your future, when you think about your health, are you thinking 
Fearful thoughts or faithful thoughts? We have the choice. Now, look at Nehemiah 6. Let me show you something else about fear that is very, very important to understand. Nehemiah 6, verse 9. Nehemiah 6, 9. For they all were trying to make us afraid. Make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of a person whose mother hated him. <laughs> I mean, why else would you name your son Mahitabol? All right, let's keep going. Who was a secret informer. Who was a secret informer. No wonder he had such a horrible name. He turned out bad, see? And he said, let us meet together in the house of God. Now, that doesn't sound bad, does it? Let's go to church within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come to kill you. And I said, I love Nehemiah's response, should such a man as I flee? He knew who he was. And who is there, such as I, who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived. Now this is very important. I want you to notice something. He did not hear God until he responded in faith. If he had responded in fear, I don't think he would have been able to hear God. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. But that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, now watch this carefully, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. You see what he said there? He said, the enemy's trying to make me afraid, and if he can make me afraid, I'll act in a certain way, and when I act in that way, it will actually be sin. Fear opens the door to sin. See, the enemy knows if he can't get you to outright sin, if he can get you to be afraid, then he can still get you to sin. Because fear opens the door to sin. If you respond in fear, you're going to open the door to sin in your life. Um, the name Sanballat, by the way, it's very, very interesting. It's a Babylonian name, and it has three parts to it. San, Baal, and Lat. Sanballat. San is the Babylonian word for sin. Baal is the Babylonian word for God, Baal. And Lat is the Babylonian word for life. Sanballat's name actually literally means the God that gives sin life. (laughs) The God that gives sin life. Well, let me tell you what the false God is that gives sin life. Fear. Because when you read Nehemiah, all through the book, Sanballat is trying to make Nehemiah afraid So he'll stop building the house of God. So, don't give in to opposition. Don't give in to fear. And here's number three. Don't give in to rumors. Don't give in to rumors. Now, in Nehemiah 6, look at verse 1. Verse 1. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I not hung the doors and the gates that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sanballat sent a servant to me, as before the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations. And Geshem says, 
that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you've also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying there's a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Nehemiah is such a man of God. He knows what God's told him to do. He knows he's a man under authority. He's not going to be sidetracked. But this is what the enemy does. Let me tell you, give you another word for rumor. It's a lie. That's what it is. A rumor is a lie. And Satan is the best at lying. There is no one, no one that's better at lying than Satan. No one. He invented it. Jesus said, Jesus called him the father of lies. He is great at lying. He lies to you all the time. I'd like for you to do an exercise at some point and just write down every time Satan lies to you during the day. Just so you can start noticing how many times he lies to you. I promise you, it's, it's unbelievable how much he lies to you. You'll be at work, someone will say something, and this voice comes and says, I wonder what she meant by that. I know what she meant. This is what she meant. And he tells you a lie. It happens all the time. It happens in our relationship. It happens in marriage all the time. Uh, the wife will say, um, would you take out the garbage? And this demon will go over to him and say, did you hear what she said? She said, you never do anything around the house. <laughs> and so... You tell her, I'll take out the garbage when I'm good and ready. So the demon goes back to her and says, Do you hear what he said? He said he doesn't love you anymore. <laughs> you know this happens. How many times have you had an argument with someone and afterward you were talking about it with the person and the person says to you, Well, you said, and you know you didn't say that. You know you didn't say that. But they will swear up and down that you said it. You want to know why? Because that's what they heard. Listen, this spiritual warfare thing is real. People really do hear all of us. Satan is lying to us. And he's very, very good at it. Let me tell you another lie. God didn't come through for you. You know, God told you this and gave you a word on this and it didn't happen. God's not faithful. You can't trust God. God didn't come through for you. You've got sin in your life. Here's a good lie from Satan. I remember the first time I ever told him this. He said, you've got sin in your life, and you don't even know what it is. Well, how are you going to fix that? I'm really in trouble. Listen, if, if there's sin, God will convict you of that sin. And, by the way, the blood of Jesus takes care of that sin. I'm telling you, Satan does everything he can to lie to us. You can't give in. To his rumors that he tells. Here's the fourth thing. Get a plan and keep going. Get a plan and keep going. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah 4 verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing and that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand, now watch this carefully, so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. This is the greatest depiction to me spiritually of the Christian life that I know anywhere in the Bible. 
In one hand, they held a tool for building, and in the other hand, they held a weapon for fighting. Listen to me very carefully. That's the Christian life. That's it right there. We are building God's kingdom and at the same time tearing down the kingdom of darkness. But we've got to do both at the same time. But here's what Satan will do. He'll say, man, listen, the warfare is so strong, you've got to quit building for a while and just fight. Think about if they had said, hey, we're going to quit building the wall and we're just going to be ready to fight. No one's going to carry a tool. No one's going to carry stones. I want everyone to have a sword, a shield, and and armor, and I want you to be ready for the fight. Can I let you in on a secret because I know the end of the book? And I've read all of Nehemiah, by the way, too. Listen to me. They said, we're going to come on you. We're going to attack you when you least expect it. We're going to kill you. Da-da-da-da-da. Guess what? Read Nehemiah. They never attacked It was all a lie. It was all to just make them afraid. So what if they had said, hey, they're going to attack us. We better get ready for war. And then just stop building. They never would have rebuilt. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have been ready for war. Because the reason that they didn't attack was probably because they were ready. You see what I'm saying? So yes, you've got to be ready for the warfare. And yes, there is a warfare. But you can't stop building. See, this is what Satan will say. The warfare is just so strong in your life, you need to stop going to life group. You need to start stop going to the classes. You need to stop volunteering because the warfare is just too strong for you. And you need to spend your whole time really fighting the war. No. Spend part of your time fighting the war, but spend most of your time building the kingdom of God. And as you build God's kingdom, here's the great thing. God takes care of your enemies. I, I was so proud of one of our ladies battling cancer. And I saw her at her office. She, she ministers to people on our ministry team. And here she was going through chemo, and yet she was still coming to the office to minister to other people. You know what she was doing? She was fighting with one hand, and she was building with the other hand. That's what we've got to do. Get a plan and stick to it. And by the way, if you don't have a plan, we do. Here at the church, we've got people that can help you. If you're having a difficulty in your marriage... Come talk to us. I am always, always heartbroken when people come to us when their marriage is at such a point that it's probably, it's probably already gone. And here's what I think. Why didn't you come to us a year ago? Why didn't you come when we really could have helped? And I'm not saying that no marriage is too far gone, but sometimes people's hearts are too far gone. There's nothing we can do then. If you have a problem in your marriage, let us help you. We have experts I'm telling you, we have great people that can help. And by the way, it's not me. (laughs) Just to let you know, I know we connect in the the messages and all, but that's not, it's because, you know why we connect now? Because this is my gift. My gift is not counseling. My entire counseling philosophy is summed up in three words. Get over it. (laughs) And and since I've become a pastor, I've added two more words. I'm sorry. Now get over it. (laughs) I'm sorry this happened to you as a kid, but get over it. Okay, why? Why? Because that's not my gift. This guy even said to me a while back, he said, Pastor Robert, I really want you to counsel me. I said, you really don't? (laughs) Because I'm not good at that. It would be the same thing as taking the counselors and asking them to preach every week. It's not their gift. You would not want to hear them preach. I've heard some of them preach. You don't want to hear them preach. That's not their gift. But you don't want to have me counsel. Listen, when I preach, the wisdom of God flows through, not from, through me. But when they counsel, the wisdom of God flows through them. Because that's their gift. And I'm telling you, if you have, if you're going through a difficulty, call us. Let us help you. 
We want to help you. Same thing with finances. We have trained experts in their finances. We have a, a stewardship group right now, by the way. They're about to finish out. Another one's about to start. So if you've got a financial problem, it's not our fault because we'll help you if you let us. We really will. So if you need help, you get in this next group because it's about to start. I think it's like May 7th. It's in your bulletin. We have a stewardship group right now, 16 families going through this for 13 weeks. At the very first, they set a goal, and their goal was to pay off in the 13-week class $25,000 in debt. That's their goal in 13 weeks. They are now 12 weeks into it. These 16 families have paid off $130,000 of debt. $130,000 in 12 weeks. Why? Because they came to someone who had wisdom from God in an area to be able to help them. Get a plan. If you don't have a plan, I'm going to say it again. We do. We have people that can help you. Whatever problem you're going through, we want to help you in that problem. Don't just come on the weekends. Get involved in classes. Get involved in groups. Get involved in in, in different types of groups, marriage groups, stewardship groups, financial, whatever it is, let us help you. Get a plan and keep going. And then if you'll do that, if you'll not give in to opposition, don't give in to fear, don't give in to rumors and lies, and get a plan to keep going, here's point number five, you will experience the victory. I promise you, because victory is a part of this plan. Look at two more scriptures, Nehemiah 6, verse 15. Nehemiah 6, 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul, in 52 days. 52 days. They finished the whole wall. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. That's the reason victory is part of His plan. You want to know why? Because He'll do the work. If you won't give up, if you won't give in, and if you will ask someone to help you and get a plan and keep working that plan... You'll obtain victory. I promise you. Why? Because the work. they did it in 52 days. Did you know that's less than eight weeks? In less than eight weeks, they rebuilt this whole wall. Can I tell you something? We've been in this series ten weeks. It's taken me longer to explain it to you than it took them to do it. <laughs> They're already done and having a siesta right now. You know why they did it so quickly? Because God helped them. You say, Pastor, you just don't know the problems that I've got. I know God, though. I know that if you won't give up, God can help you. I notice you'll ask for help and start working, doing things His way. God can take care of the work. I promise you, victory is part of God's plan for your life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.